0: Testing, testing, one, 2 Make sure I'm on here, hold on, okay, can you hear me? Okay, praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 18 tonight, as you can imagine, this is, if you can give me some more monitors, there we go, um, one of the greatest privileges of my life, and I just want to thank Pastor Mitchell and Pastor Mitchell twice uh, for having me here and uh, able to. Minister behind this platform, amen. Genesis chapter 18, I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled Confessions of a Middle-Aged Cynic. Confessions of a Middle-Aged Cynic out of chapter 18 of Genesis. A cynic is somebody, a person who believes that all human activity is motivated by self-interest. That sounds pretty accurate, of a description of our society. Can you say amen? I could ask you some questions and we could banter back and forth, but they, we have moved in our society from the entertainer Johnny Carson to people like John Stewart, and people who mock and uh, make fun of every person who's in power. And I wanna to talk to you for a few moments about the issue of cynicism because there are three elements you're going to need if you're gonna go the distance with Jesus Christ. Faith, trust, and enthusiasm. Can you say amen? Amen. Faith, trust, and enthusiasm. And if you lose those three, you are done as a Christian. And I understand that there are principalities that would uh, war against the kingdom of God. And this thing has nothing new to us. This is like the white elephant in the room that nobody wants to speak about. Uh, It is the issue that is many times boiling in people's hearts is that they got saved, but over time they have become cynical even about the things of God. I want to read you a testimony that I picked up about a cynic, and it's the confessions of a cynic. Now listen closely. I am a recovering cynic. I can't tell you how long I have been off the hard stuff. But I know most weeks I am tempted to go back to my old ways. Imagine the scene. I am sitting in church, listening to the preacher deliver a message when I hear something that I disagree with. Hmm. Imagine that. I know that never happens here, but let's just continue on nonetheless. We can send the tape someplace else. Maybe I'm just an over-opinionated, egotistical fool, but so often I am trying to resist the temptation to discount absolutely everything that I hear from people whose opinions differ from mine own. My cynicism and I are in big trouble because I have added speech to my cynicism, speaking to all who will listen. I missed out on a lot with God, my friend, because of my addiction, and I have refused to believe that another person's sincerity could possibly be genuine. It's been said, and we've talked about this throughout the fellowship, about this fatherless generation, but it has caused a lot of people to come into the kingdom of God with an unbelievable amount of cynicism. Can you say amen? And I'm telling you that I've seen a difference in the converts of 25 years ago and the converts of today. They don't want to go to hell just like we didn't want to go to hell 25 years ago. But the moment that they come in, they want to put the church on trial. Can anybody say amen? Immediately, the church is on trial. The pastor's on trial. Everything he has to say is going to be measured with with incredible diligence. This is not the Spirit of God. How many people know that believers believe? Yes, and before you leave, you're gonna understand that the believers believe, amen. That's why they're called believers. They're not called cynics. This is a generation that, uh, a curse that is on this generation and I see it as a spirit that is leading this generation. This is why we have people like David, uh, his late night talk show host, and his name is David what? Letterman, thank you very much all you TV watchers. <laughs> David Letterman is a huge cynic, and what he does, he gets up and gives a monologue every uh, night, and all he does is tear down or undress every politician and every one of our leaders. Jay Leno does exactly the same thing. I live in Southern California, and there's a serious spirit of cynicism where I come from. We are cynic central, if you will. We are living in a generation that does that, that everything that they think is funny has to do with mocking somebody else and making fun of that person and this is where it gets into trouble when you start mocking holy things. I want to read with you. You know, I was was reading this. I was trying to figure out where was the first time it was mentioned because the book of Genesis always has the first time something is mentioned or just about, and so I I knew it was in the book of Genesis, but I started to search for it, and I finally found it in Genesis chapter 18. I want you to read with me. I'm going to jump through this story a little bit. I'm going to skip down to verse number 9, and I want to read a portion there. The Bible says, Then he said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, I have grown old. Shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? I like the way she calls her husband Lord. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life. Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid, and he said, No, but you did laugh. I want to talk to you first of all about the issue that cynicism is addicting. And this man in this testimony talks about the hard stuff. And I want you to talk, think about this for a few moments because a lot of times uh, you'll run into people who come into the kingdom of God but they have been hardcore cynics before they got saved and it's very difficult then for, for them to become believers in all that you and I are involved in especially when it goes against their own flesh. We are supposed to question everything uh, and be able to pick apart the great issues of our day while remaining aloof to basic emotions like faith, trust, and enthusiasm. And I truly believe tonight that this is what is causing the difference in converts today versus the converts of yesterday. Cynicism is addicting, and this is why it is so addicting, because it makes you look clever and makes you look brilliant, and everybody else is an idiot. Can you say amen? This is why it's addicting, because it is a self-grandizing position that you take in life. Amen. In our portion of Scripture, Sarah and her husband Abraham have been around for a very long time, to put it nicely. And they could say, well, I've seen them come, and I've seen them go, and I will see them go. They are getting older, and they are getting more and more cynical as the days go on. Obviously, this was a practice in their home. Or I don't think the angels would have responded so harshly right off the bat. This wasn't a freak accident. This was something that was taking place all the time. I don't know if you've ever been alone for long periods of time, but man, but when you're alone for long periods of time, you just you just start to mock everything. You start to make fun of everything because there's nothing better to do. These people, they live out in the stinking wilderness. They have nothing, amen, to do other than to you know, joke with each other and jive back and forth. And so the moment the angels show up, this is what was already taking place. This cynical thing. And here comes holiness. Here comes these angels into the equation. And yet she does not recognize it. She does not appreciate that she's in holy ground. For crying out loud, what else is there to do out in the middle of nowhere but mock and joke? The angels come along and want to have a serious conversation with them. And all they can do is laugh. Cynicism tonight is like a drug because it masks pain, it covers failure, and it creates false joy. Let me say that again. It creates false joy, uh, it, cover, it masks uh, pain, and it covers failure, and it prevents obedience. It is supposed to make us free and to liberate us from the pain and the mess of having to be let down by those that we might be foolish enough to believe in i know what i'll do i'll just wait around and i just simply won't care about what's going around but nobody can have no cares about what is happening in the around them without some excuse and that excuse many times comes down to laughing everything off not only do we get to look clever but we get to keep our emotions safely locked away and that in a nutshell is why cynicism is so addicting tonight the hard stuff this confessor calls it i don't know how long i've been off the hard stuff and i am preaching this tonight i understand i know who i'm preaching to amen i've been around the kingdom of god for a while and i've seen some people leave the kingdom of god riding the snickering express let me say that again i've seen some people leave uh riding the snickering express believing themselves to be wise they became fools okay believing themselves to be wise you know there's a lot of people very impressed with the sound of their own voice huh very impressed with the sound of their own voice. Full of themselves. You, know, you know, God's not really concerned that you have 140 IQ. You know, your my wife might be very impressed, but God himself is not impressed at all. Can you say amen? Can you say oh me? Because there's a whole bunch of you that are just really impressed with your own words. Let me just tell you, you have not figured out everything in life, my friend okay and you have not figured out say well yeah see they've got that big intellect and that's why they took that train out of town No, why they took that train out of town is because they thought themselves to be wise they became fools and what do fools do the Bible says that the fool says in his heart because God is able to read the heart there is no God in fact that's not really what it says it says no God I don't want God in my life I don't want to do what God wants me to do the fool has said in his heart no God and the wise, and those who think that they're wise, are people who are just like that. Many of you say, well, I'm so wise, I've figured it out. You haven't figured out anything. Anywhere we find the word mocking in the Bible, we find a nefarious act that is connected to it. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. John nineteen three says, then they said, hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. They were mocking the Son of God, amen. And that mocking spirit is something that is in every believer and sometimes can even creep into the house of God. We are people that have been let down. And this is how we get our kicks. We are better at tearing things apart than putting things together. Can you say amen? You might want to take some advice and try to put a church together rather than try to tear it down. It's funny, you know, we buy these things for our children and they have all these directions on how to put things together. Every year, you know, I get something for my boy and putting it together with him, it's all part of the fun and everything. Notice that there's no directions on how to take it apart because we're really good at knowing how to take things apart. Some people are very good at knowing how to take a church apart with their own words. Demolition is our specialty, my friend, from the Bush haters to the Justin Timberlake haters to the Hillary haters. Can I tell you, you smell like the generation that you belong to. There are never directions on how to take things apart because we know exactly how to do that. We are masters at taking things apart. Can you say amen? So First of all, cynicism is addicting because it makes you look brilliant and everybody like an idiot. Number two, I want to talk to you about God's revelation in Genesis chapter 18. I found this answer in a strange place and I knew it was a problem that God would have addressed it somewhere. And in verse number 12, the Bible says, therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Notice that the first reaction that she has is she laughs. Amen. And so many times the first reaction is who you really are. That's really who you are. This is why it, the reaction was so quickly. Immediately she laughs. She doesn't go, now, who are these people again? Are these angels? You know, she's not debating about who these people are. She doesn't care. It's, her first reaction is to laugh at something that she thinks is impossible. That is why cynicism is what it it is. It's actually an inner laugh, an inner chuckle that relieves one of all faith and all responsibility. Romans chapter 1, verse 22. The Bible says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and said no God because the Bible says that the fool has said in his heart no to God. And what has happened is they have lost the awe that they once had. Psalms chapter 4, verse 4 says, Stand in awe and sin not. And to me, at least in the way that I read the Bible, amen, when it says stand in awe and then the opposite of that is sin, amen, then I understand to not stand in awe is to sin. Can you say amen? This is what God is trying to speak in that portion of scripture in Psalms 33 8. The Bible says, The world stands in awe of him. Psalms 119, 167, 61 says, My heart standeth in awe of the word of God. And God is saying that when you lose that awe, you are done as a Christian. Can you say amen? God has an answer for you tonight, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. The angels are quite upset about this conversation. And I mean, what is the big deal? Why the federal case about her laughing or snickering about this issue right here? He asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? I think I would have said, hey, go ask her. I don't have any idea why she laughed. But how many people know that if a plant grows in your house, the man is responsible for that plant growing? The man is responsible, and this is a men's discipleship. Am I right? Can I just preach in here for just a few moments? Just, just give me just a, few, just a few moments here tonight. When things grow in your house, when you allow things in your house, amen, God's going to come asking you the questions. And you notice right here, he doesn't go to Sarah and go, hey, Sarah, what's going on with this laughter, this inner chuckle thing? He immediately turns to Abraham and go, why did you laugh? You know, he's not in the tent. He's out there with the angels. How's he supposed to know? Because God knew something about Abraham. And God knows something about you, my friend, what you're allowing to grow in your own home. I think my answer would have been, go ask her, but God, God wouldn't have been happy with that answer either for me. The angels know something that Amherst should should have also known, and that was that he was the head of that house. And if the plant of cynicism grows, he had to let it grow. I've been to a lot of conferences, and I've been to a lot of sermons, amen, over the years, and like many of you have, and I've seen all of these people sitting in churches, normally a husband, a wife, amen, and every once in a while somebody will say something, and then you'll get the big lean over. Did you hear what she just said? Did you hear what he just said? I want to tell you that some of those are unholy leanovers. Can you say amen? People who are mocking what they're seeing. Look who thinks that there's something. I've seen a lot of these things over the years. The Bible says the fool has said in his, no, in his heart, there is no God. What really happens when a person begins to leave the faith, amen, they slowly but surely move out of believing God because the default setting in your life is unbelief. That's what you came into the kingdom of God with, was you were full of unbelief. That was the default setting. Every time you go back to that, it's like on a computer going into safe mode, amen, you're going right back to the very thing of where you started. The Bible says that we did not, we started in the spirit. God help us if we end up in the flesh. Can you say amen? There is, and this is a slow, almost noxious gas that that happens uh, in, in people's lives. It's not something that happens overnight. It's a slow progression of people not believing God and questioning everything that comes down the pike. They think that they can put everything that is in the kingdom of God on trial. I want to tell you that that's completely unrighteous. You are not in control. You are not the leader of those congregations. And if you were, then the decisions would be up to you. If you're that brilliant, then maybe one day you will and God will lift you up, but not with that spirit of unbelief that you're carrying with you now. Unholy leanovers, cynical comments, amen, made about other people, amen. These are really many rebellions that are going on between you and your wife. And you're allowing your wife to say things. You know, sometimes you need to sort out your wife. Can you say amen? You just need to say something to you, you know what, that's completely off the wall. I know you're going to go without it for a few days, but just understand this. You're a Christian, you're supposed to be able to go without it for a few days anyways. You're going to be traveling as an evangelist and as a pastor. Can you say amen? So why don't you gain some dominion rather than be whipped by your wife? Genesis 21.9. <laughs> The first mention of mocking in the Bible is actually uh, in Genesis 21, 9. And it's Sarah being mocked by Hagar's son. Is it possible that she was simply reaping what she sowed? Do you ever think about that? Because someday you're mocking everything you see. You think everything's very funny. And what if it happens to you? And guess what? It is going to happen to you as you take the snickering express out of town. And we say bye-bye to you. And then people are talking about you and are cynical about you. A big lean over. When one turns to the other and says to the other, look who thinks that they are something. Yeah, they're something. They're trying to do something for God. What's so wrong about that? They're getting raised up in the congregation. And you're jealous, so now you're allowing that comment to destroy your wife's faith. Did you hear what they just said? Or, oh, there he goes again. You know he's talking about, don't you? You know, people are not stupid. They understand what you're up to if you're being cynical about the things around you. Anything and everything is up for grabs. What they are wearing, the car that they are driving, the way that they, treat, they take care of their kids, the way that they look, everything is up for grabs. I want, you know, you, you shouldn't be so cocksure of yourself, my friend, because you don't know everything. Just a, just a little tip for the wise. The reason that the angels asked Abraham this question was because he was responsible. He should not have allowed this of citizen to grow in a godly home. Where is Sarah? Why did Sarah laugh? When was the last time the Lord heard you laugh? Because, you know, he can listen to you laugh. The Bible says that she laughed within herself, but the angels knew that she laughed. So believe me, the Lord knows exactly when you're laughing and what you think is funny. This is why it's so fascinating to me to find out what this generation thinks is funny. You really think that Family Guy is a great show? What is wrong with this generation? You know the top three shows for men over 40 years old? Family Guy, Family Guy, and The Simpsons. Can anybody say retarded? Okay. What the heck is wrong with this generation? I know many of you are newer converts and that was your favorite show, but just listen for a second. How immature do you have to be that you left cartoons and now you're back in cartoons? Huh? Because you are immature, that's why. And these, the, we got a generation of men that look like me. I'm 46 years old, but they're punks still to this day. The reason the angels are asking him is because Abraham is being a punk in his own home. Notice it says within herself. Sarah denies it. I find that most cynics are in denial. And I don't mean the river that runs through Egypt. It's made very clear here that the Lord does... is made very clear here that the lord does know about this inner laughter this inner lack of faith that in anybody or anything or even god in this instance in verse 14 is anything too hard for the lord it's even mentioned in the new testament in galatians 6 7 that says do not be deceived god is not mocked you're basically putting god on trial when you mock the things that are in the house of god And it really bothers me when I see it. I mean, it it, it just vexes my soul. And many times I'm unable to check it, you know, because, you know, you can't, as a pastor, you can't control everything. But sometimes you see it and you go, man, that person's short for this world. And I don't mean tall. I mean short for this world. (laughs) There is a new saying in our society. The saying is, whatever. (laughs) You can be in some huge conversation with somebody. Whatever. Whatever means I don't really care and it doesn't matter whatsoever, There's another saying. That is so random. (laughs) And and what they're doing is they're showing their colors. They could care less about anything but getting home and getting back on Facebook. Really, really vexes me. That here are kids that, (laughs) can I just have 10 seconds? Man, we had a meeting the other day on standards uh, after the Sunday evening service, and everything was going fine until somebody mentioned Facebook. I go, did you have to get me stirred up? (laughs) You don't have a single word for your pastor. You give him a bypass, take the stinking exit door to get into the church. You'll come through service, you sit through the service, but you can't wait to get out of there so you can go home and update your profile. Can I just tell you that your your character is thin as that screen right there. That's about as much as your character. And that stuff's forever, by the way. It's not going anywhere. That stuff's going to be on the internet for the rest of your life. So when you do find a wife and she Googles your name, guess what, buddy? All of your pictures, all your punctum, put up there for everyone to see. Why is it that this little fact is put here? Why is the Lord so upset? Because he knew that it would cause her to shrink from her responsibility and faith and responsibility at the same issue, amen, that you deal with. She was supposed to sleep with her husband, and if she doesn't believe it, then she gets a free pass. Can you say amen? And any woman at 99 years old is hoping for a free pass probably at that issue. Matthew 16, 23. Jesus says to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Now, we know that Peter wasn't, the, the, uh, the, the, wasn't Satan. We know that for sure, because eventually he became the pillar of the church. And by the way, he was not the first pope. He was the first pastor of a Christian church. But here we know that we know for sure that he wasn't Satan. But what he was speaking was all about Satan. Get behind me when he said, don't deny yourself, and basically took things lightly about the kingdom of God. The King James Bible says, thou savorest not the things of God. Can I say to every cynic sitting here, I want to tell you, you're in trouble not because I'm preaching a sermon or because you're pastors against cynicism, because you do not savor the things of God. And someday God's gonna come looking for you, my friend, because you have not lifted up the things of God. You had a t- spate of time that you could have done right, but you decided to be go back to your default setting and go back to your unbelief. You came into the kingdom of God and now you speak some Christianese, but you don't believe a single word of it. And someday God's gonna come looking for you, my friend, because thou savorest not the things of God. You have no specified taste for the things of God. There's no more desire in you for the things of God. Yet that doesn't feed you any longer. The things of the world now feed you and now you're trying to look for a way of unbelief and I want to tell you, soon you'll be on that train if you're not careful. He's saying cynicism or unbelief causes man to hunger after the things of the world and not the things of God. It would have relieved both Sarah and Peter from the responsibility of faith. I want to talk to you thirdly tonight. If you'll just read with me the rest of this portion of Scripture in Genesis chapter 18. Many times I've read this, and I, you know, I know many of you have read it. Many of you have preached through it. But I was reading it, and I, I always think that these stories are two separate stories. You know, here's the whole issue with the Son of Promise. And then in verse 16, it starts talking about Abraham interceding for Sodom. But I read it with fresh eyes, and I began to see that what was going on in this portion of Scripture is this is the answer out of cynicism. I was in TJ not too long ago preaching a healing crusade in Tijuana. And I got lost uh, up in a huge valley. And I, there's like one road in and one road out. And I couldn't find the road out. How many people you have ever been lost and you couldn't find your way out? There's a lot of people that are in cynicism and they can't seem to find their way out. Okay, And I want to try to give you a road out. I want to try to explain a few things to you tonight to try to help you to get back to where you once belonged. Amen. Genesis chapter 18, verse 16, the Bible says, Then the men arose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them and to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command the children and his household and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it and has come to me, and if not, I will know. Verse 22, Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that are in it? Far be it from you, Lord, to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the unrighteous, or with the wicked. Far be it from you, you shall shall not judge all the earth to do right. Verse 26, so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place For their sakes then Abraham answered again and said indeed now I who am dust who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous would you destroy all the city for the lack of five so he said if I had there 45 I would not I will not destroy it verse 29 and he spoke to him yet again so he said I will not do it for the sake of 40 then he said let not the Lord be angry and I will speak Suppose 30 would be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. This is a very interesting conversation going on between God and Abraham. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, God already knows how many righteous people are in that city. And yet he allows the man of God to intercede for those people. And I began to understand something that the answer for your cynicism is to get involved with interceding for the lost. This is the road out of cynicism is to be involved because there's something so fresh about a new convert. Can you say amen? There, there is just, and they're cussing in their testimonies, man. You know? and, and then I, then I went I was, I was unbelievable. It was so blank and blank and unbelievable. I just couldn't believe it. And, you know, and you're sitting there going, oh, well, can he's allowed to say that in church? No, he's not allowed to say that in church, but he just got saved. How many people know there's something awesome about interceding for your fellow man? You want to know the answer for your cynicism is to get involved with interceding for your fellow man. And a lot of that has to do with prayer and outreach and a million other activities. We throw everything we can at trying to reach people for Jesus Christ. And I believe that this is why many of our our good leaders haven't gone cynical. It's because they've kept at it. Can you say amen? And those who have found little hobbies along the way have been diverted off to other things. This is why they've lost it. You know this story, and you've heard it before. I'm sure you have. And at first glance, these stories seem to have very little to do with each other. But I believe the road out of cynicism is right here. Because Abraham's guests are about to leave. And the whole scene takes on a new life. God considers the depravity of a city called Sodom. And considers its destruction. Abraham begins negotiating on Lot's behalf. And that's what real Christians do, my friend. They negotiate with God on the behalf of sinners. It's called prayer. And we find out right here where the negotiations begin. In verse 23, he asked, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Why would Abraham ask such a question of a God that he already knew? I live in San Diego, California. Up in Los Angeles, there's a lot of wickedness that comes out of Los Angeles. A lot of wickedness. I think something like 80% of the pornography and many of the uh, videos, you know, 80% of the movies that are being made today that are destroying the youth around the world are being produced in Hollywood. And as a righteous man of God, there are times when I, you know, we had an earthquake on Easter and it really shook the whole place, 7.2, and I was kind of hoping that Los Angeles would fall into the ocean. I just thought, you know, Lord, this would be a very good thing if you could get rid of all of that unrighteousness and just one, just keep San Diego, San Diego maybe, and Northern you know, uh, California, just drop that whole bit into the ocean. You know, because I love God and I want to see that disappear. <laughs> Why doesn't Abraham have the same feelings? Because he cared about those people that are in that city. And we have a number of churches in Los Angeles. I'm being facetious with you. But listen, man, there's a lot of unrighteousness, but there's a lot of good people that need to be saved there. Can you say amen? Amen. And so you start to see this, 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 this concern. And this concern, I really believe, is the key to the deliverance from this man's problem. He bargains with God. Indeed, now I am but dust and ashes and have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. What happens next? The angels visit. There's an attempted rape charge. Only four righteous people are found. And God destroys the city. My question for you tonight is this. As I close, why did God allow Abraham to bargain when the knower of all knew that there were only four and was planning on destroying it despite what Abraham said? Why go through the motions? God wanted Abraham to get involved, to care about the state of his fellow man. Not just Lot and his family of four. You know, notice, he knew that those were the only righteous ones there, but he's pleading for everybody else. And this is the road out of cynicism. And if you ever want to be right with God until the very end, my friend, you better figure this out, that ministry and a large portion of caring about other people would greatly, greatly help many of you. I picked up an article about converts and converts confession. I want to read you just a bit of it. I was converted to the church in my adolescence. But I never had a convert's zeal. I never acquired the instinctive deep structure, that internal universe universe that is instilled in the cradle from the start. The spiritual DNA never was imparted to me. I was half in the church, half out of the church. Nor did I acquire the deep structure of the church's doctrinal rationales, its ideals, and its distastes. One of the problems that we're having with new converts is that they're coming into the kingdom of God and they want to change the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of God change them. They've come in with all of their likes and dislikes. And they're attempting to, in every way possible, change Christianity from what it should be to what they want it to be. I want to tell you, my friend, you better come onto God's ship. He doesn't need to come onto your ship. God wanted Abraham to get involved and to care about the state of his fellow man. But let me say this. We are called to rage against the machine of this world. Plagued by the marks of the fall. Not sit around like the old Greek cynics. Chewing the fat and ripping to pieces all those pretentious men and women that they saw in the streets. In our case, in our church, at home, and all around us. You know, I've been saved for a while. And I've heard people, men of God that I respected, make comments when we're fasting That they don't fast anymore i've heard make heard people make comments about outreach and about sacrifice and about pioneering churches that were full of unbelief can you say amen full of unbelief and i'm telling you my friend god's got your number and he's going to come and deal with you quickly if you don't repent lastly again i mentioned to you when we began the sermon believers believe they believe in their pastor they believe in their church and they believe in the mission of their fellowship You better figure out that you better come alongside of those who are standing against carnality and wickedness in our society. You may not be the one that is doing all the preaching, my friend, but you better figure out that you better get alongside the one that is doing the preaching. When he's talking about fasting, he's trying to get people to be holy. When he's talking about outreach, he's trying to get people to be fruitful. When he's doing these things, he's talking about sacrifice. He's trying to get people to sacrifice. Amen. And if you sit there and strong-arm the man of God, may God hold you accountable, my friend. They give people, real Christians give people what is called the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because they're believers, like I mentioned a moment ago. The benefit of the doubt, if you define it, is believing something good about someone rather than something bad when, you, when, when the possibility of, is given to you to do one or the other. The benefit of the doubt. This is a conscious choice on your part to not be an unbeliever, but to be a believer. Woe to you, my friend, lest you allow your issues to hurt and halt God's kingdom. It's been said that hurt people hurt people. So you better get whole so that you can be a blessing and not a cursing. Can you say amen? Hurt people hurt people. If you don't cease from your default setting, you can do much harm to the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, the Bible says about Jesus, And he did not many works there because of their unbelief. If you look up that word unbelief, it is also translated in the New King James Version, disobedience. Because unbelief leads to disobedience. Cynicism leads to disobedience. Sometimes I'll hear somebody speaking, and I start to worry about that person because of their unbelief, because I've seen that's the beginning of the train that leads them down the tracks of backsliding. Unbelief is connected to disobedience. 150 years ago, Charles Darwin wrote a book called The Origin of the Species. Once again, Hollywood is coming out with a film, surprise, surprise, celebrating this Wonderful man of science. Did you know he's not a man of science at all? In fact, most of his theories are completely bogus. His wife was a believer, and they just had a whole uh, demonstration in the San Diego Museum of uh, History, and I went to that thing, and I took Pastor Olson, and we walked around, and I read a number of the things uh, that were on the wall describing Charles Darwin. Did you know his wife uh, called his spates of scientific research She called them bouts of unbelief. This was a man that once believed, and now is the word that is used to justify all sorts of immorality and wickedness. You say, I'm never going to be as famous as Charles Darwin. You don't know that, my friend. There's a lot of backsliders that the devil uses that have talked themselves out of the kingdom of God. Let me mention to you another one. Who here has ever heard of a man named Charles Templeton? Is, is that is the that right first name there? Yeah, Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was a contemporary of Billy Graham. In fact, he had bigger meetings than Billy Graham. And when they started Youth, uh, they, uh, youth for Christ, they started Youth for Christ, Charles Templeton was the main speaker and Billy Graham was his assistant. And before that, this, uh, this Charles Templeton was having meetings of 40,000, which were huge for those days. Charles Templeton after he began to see some of the footage coming out of the uh, camps in Auschwitz and different places, they would show these before the movies that they would show. They'd show some news clips, and he saw some of these news clips, and it affected his mind, and he turned to Billy on one of these occasions and said, how can there be a God that would allow something like this? And he slowly but surely found himself leaving the faith he was hired by Princeton University to be a professor because how many people know that the world always wants to reward unbelievers? He's not qualified to be a professor. He's a preacher. Oh, but they found a way to give him a scholarship, give him a degree, and then bring him on to staff. Maybe he already had a degree. I don't know, but he certainly wasn't qualified for Princeton University. He's a preacher. But how many people know that many people compromise Christianity for the sake of wealth? And he is now a byword of those who went along those ways. Charles Darwin is also one of those who had bouts of unbelief. How many people know that we all go through bouts of unbelief? The question is whether you're going to allow that bout of unbelief to indwell you and steal from you your belief in God. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. And he speaks about things that are unseen, that you cannot see everything that's around you. But you believe in the best because believers believe the good that is in society. The Bible says that the eye sees evil because itself is evil. Maybe the reason why you're so cynical is because there's some things that you need to deal with in your heart. Not every person that you see is motivated by self-interest. If you think that you're that smart, that you're able to read people's minds, maybe you need to set up a little stall at one of the fairs and become a fortune teller. You know exactly the motive of every man of God that you've ever come in contact. Oh, I beg to differ, my friend. You do not know the motivation. And you better watch yourself thinking that you know the motivation of every pastor and every person that you come in contact with. You do not know, and you're going to find out someday that some of them were righteous and you misjudge them. And God will hold you accountable for it if you're not careful. Let me read you the last of this man this man's confession. He says, I'd been let down by my by my father. Surprise, surprise. I've had no contact with him since I was 11. It wasn't supposed to be that way. He wasn't supposed to walk away from my fatherhood from from fatherhood as if it were a hobby, but he did. I made up my mind not to get hurt again. I'd idolized him before. And there was no way that I would fall into that trap again. Over the years, listen to this man's confession. Over the years, the darkness spread. Leaving me unwilling to get acquainted with vulnerability. And unfamiliar with a sense of trust. I assumed others would follow in my father's failure. I would save myself a whole lot of trouble by seeing their faults from the start. That describes our generation almost to a T. A fatherless generation that believes that they'll save themselves the heartache by being able to read everybody from the start. Cynicism is a belief system that every single person is motivated by self-interest, that there is no good in the world. But I beg to differ. There are righteous men of God around the world preaching the gospel. And if you would respect and you had a good eye, you'd be able to see that and recognize that. You see, belief tonight is a choice. But it also has to do with praying. Is there a place for cynicism in the faith, this man says? I guess not. Because you and I need to believe God. Mark nine twenty four, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief you're not talking about a complete sinner he believes in jesus he says i believe father jesus you know that i believe but help my unbelief who can say that with him tonight help my unbelief before i find my way out of the kingdom of god abraham from then on became the father of the faith and sarah the laugher became the mother of the faith they overcame their cynicism and we hear about them again in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 10 and 11. For he waited for the city, which was, has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also conceived strength. Listen to this. I know it's a woman, but just chill for a second, dude. Okay. By faith, Sarah herself also conceived strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. So here you have a woman who literally defines cynicism in the very beginning of the Bible. And then in Hebrews 11, in 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 the New Testament, almost at the end of the New Testament, she is mentioned again, and she is mentioned with Abraham, the father of what? Faith. So she repented. And let me tell you, my friend, it's not over for you either it's not over for you either you may have thought yourself smart you may have tried to figure this thing out and you thought you had it figured out but i want to tell you my friend there's a lot more to do for this kingdom we're still breathing air man we still got time to do something for god can you say amen Amen. and it's not over for you and though you may have a bunch of cynicism though you may have your bouts of unbelief god is a good god and he wants you back on the soldier's side the both of them overcome their cynicism by doing so, they found themselves recorded in both the old and the new testament. Ephesians six twelve says, "For we wrestle. We-, we wrestle. I don't think so. <laughs> wrestle, please. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places." And what is those high principalities and those spirits of wickedness in high places? What is their job? Their job is to talk you out of believing. And they're not in any major hurry because they know about how long you're going to live and they're taking their sweet time trying to talk you out of it. Charles Templeton was talked out of it. And later on he rebuked Billy and asked Billy Graham, are you still preaching that nonsense? May the Lord have mercy on Charles Templeton and may he have mercy on every one of us. These principalities, their job is to make you an unbeliever before you die. Your job tonight is to deny them the power to do so. Can you say amen? Amen. Hebrews 4, 6. Seeing therefore, it removeth that some must enter therein and they to whom it was first preached Entered not in because of their unbelief. I mentioned to you a few moments ago about how unbelief is equal to disobedience. Well, if you look up King James and New King James on this scripture in Hebrews 4, 6 uh, together, you will see that that's exactly what happens. You have disobedience and unbelief. And the Bible says that some of them who had entered early were disqualified and they lost their walk with God. He said, Those whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. I'd like you to bow your heads with me for a moment as we close the service. Confessions.